All right, so we are, we are live and ready to start our Wednesday night Bible class. For tonight, we are discussing the New Testament church. I'm super grateful and excited that so many of you have come out tonight to discuss um, the church. And it's going to be a good conversation. We, have, we, have, we started in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start there, but we're, we're not going to stay there very long at all tonight. Um, but everything that we discuss over the next several weeks is going to really come from Acts chapter 2 and those four basic things that we really learned from Acts chapter 2 from Peter's speech and what was surrounding him at the time and um, the things that were said. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started in our conversation tonight. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We are grateful for this time. Uh, we're, we're grateful for the, the excitement, um, the commitment, the conviction that is in all of us to be here to discuss really one of the most important concepts in all of the New Testament, which is your church, us, your body of believers, the active living kingdom of God. And God, we want to be as true to your word as we possibly can be in everything that we say and everything that we do, even in the way that we structure ourselves and even in the way that we go about your work. Lord, it's a good work because you lead us to it. So, Father, we just want to be in your will. We want to be your people. We want to be worthy of the calling that you've given each one of us in this congregation and in, in, in the entire body of Christ. So, Father, bless our conversation tonight. I pray that um, we all learn something new or that something sticks in a way it hasn't before. And I also pray that as we discuss amongst ourselves, Lord, that we take in all the wisdom. There's going to be a lot of different perspective on different things. And, and God, that's a great thing. That's a beautiful thing. So I pray that we uh, sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And that we speak your word boldly tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, again, we've been talking about Acts chapter 2. There are four things I want you to remember. These four things we're going to go in a deep dive in. <clears throat> All right. Over the next several weeks. But the first thing that we discussed from our discussion in Acts chapter 2 was... That God was going to pour out a spirit on all flesh, which you receive through belief, repentance, and baptism. Now, I'm summarizing several parts of Acts chapter 2, but that's the first thing you really um, see in Peter's sermon. And he follows it up at the end of his sermon when they're convicted and they say, what shall we do? And he tells them to repent and be baptized. And they have that conviction that they did just crucify Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah. Second is Jesus was the Messiah and Savior. That's one of his main points in the scriptures he used, talking about the Old Testament prophecies that we went over last time. And that he conquered death through resurrection and defeated sin through his perfect sacrifice. Those are all extremely important concepts, and we're going to break those down individually as well. Third, Jesus is Lord. This is probably the concept that many people who come to Christ wrestle with the longest. And the reason why I say that is because I think it's very easy to accept Jesus as your Messiah. It's very easy to accept Jesus as your Savior. In other words, coming to the realization that I'm not perfect and I need help, 
That's the easier side of the coin. Listening to all the instru uh, uh, instruction, obeying the word of God, putting that in every aspect of your life, that's probably the more difficult part of the calling, but it's extremely important. So we're going to be discussing that Jesus is Lord, and there is a lot of scripture in the New Testament that we're going to go through on that. And last but not least, the church. Am I, am I losing the mic, or is it just this angle? Okay. The church was more than a community of believers. They were the family of God, which we discuss and we will discuss further. So, I'm not going to do it in the order that you see here because I'm confusing like that. But to make it less confusing, I tried to put it in order of the reality and the necessity of events. So, you have to have this to get to here, to get to here, to get to here. And I'm not um, saying that from a legalistic perspective, but... I think you'll see where I'm going in just a minute. So tonight, we're going to discuss the fact that Jesus is our Savior, and he has saved us from sin and death. He has saved us from sin and death. That's, a very, that's probably one of the most important parts of coming to Christ, is realizing that, one, you need to be saved from your sin, and that your sin causes death, and um, the only way to be saved by, is through Jesus Christ. So, I wanted to start with Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 7, and, and a few more verses after this in Isaiah 25. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make, all, make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich full, food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have, wait, we have waited for him that he might save us. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So let's break this down really quickly. What is the covering in the veil that Isaiah is talking about in chapter 25? What is this covering? that has been cast over all peoples in this veil that is spread over all nations. Sin. Sin. I like it somewhat to the tabernacle. It separated all the people from God. Yeah. So the covering in the veil, from a metaphor standpoint, is what was keeping us from God. Yeah. And I think I heard you say Jesus Christ. Somebody said it. Yeah. Always listen so I think it's both. I do. I think it's both because I think sin is what veils us. Sin is what clouds our vision. Sin is what takes what is light and, and, and hides it in the darkness, if you will. So I think it's both, but definitely what is about to be shown and what will swallow up, specifically death forever, wipe away the tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away, that is clearly who? That's Jesus. I could have used many other scriptures, and we could have talked about a lot of different prophecies before we got even, we could have went really deep if we wanted to, but I just wanted to show you one that isn't um, quoted as often, 
as other places in Isaiah that specifically points to this Messiah that was going to come and he was going to eradicate the world from sin and death. Ex extremely important part of the gospel. John, John 10, Jesus says this specifically about himself. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I, may that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. The charge I have received from my Father. This charge I have received from my Father. So he says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So the second part of that is what we're going to discuss next Wednesday because I feel like we're probably not going to get through everything um, today <clears throat> on sin and death. But I want you to see that part of why God loves Jesus according to his own mouth is because he was willing to come and die. He's willing to lay down his life for all of mankind. Romans 5. This is where we're going to dig in for a minute. This really encompasses almost everything we're going to talk about tonight. Now, you guys know the first part of Romans 5 if I've been doing my job over the last 10, 15 years because I've probably quoted it to you no less than 100 times. The first part of Romans 5 expresses to us that while we were sinners, enemies, weak, powerless, unable to help ourselves, in our worst moment, Christ died for us. That's the first part of Romans 5. That's, that's as simple as I can make it. Now, the next part of Romans 5 builds on that and explains an extremely important part of why sin became such a problem and how sin and death are forever linked together. So Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So let's just pause there for a second, and let's talk about that. Who is he talking about in this scripture? He says, let me read the part. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. When was the law given? Moses. Moses. Moses was the one who brought us the law, right? So, before Moses, what happened? Did people sin? Started with Adam. So, yeah, it started with Adam, or we'd also be in the garden. So, of course, people sinned before there was law. And if you really want to break it down, after they get out of the garden, there was a law in the garden, right? There was one rule, and they broke that rule, and now they're out. But after that, was there sin? Cain yeah, Cain and Abel. You can't get around that. Has it ever been okay to murder somebody? I don't think so. Even though the law had not been written yet, there was still sin. So that's what Paul is pointing out in this moment, is there was a time before the law, but people were still sinning. And the proof of that is that People were still dying. So, yet death reigned, verse 14, from Adam to Moses, even the, over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Who's that talking about? 
Yeah, it's talking about Jesus. And then it says this, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, I want to finish it uh, before we discuss it, but I don't want you to forget what's on this, um, this page of the PowerPoint. All right, you see he's saying there's a difference, but he's also showing that, that there's a similarity. I want to discuss that difference, and I want to discuss that similarity. And I think he's going to get a little bit more to the meat right here. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came, and don't forget this verse as well because we're going to go back to it later. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we have the one man that sin, in, sin enters the world through. Who's that man? Adam. So we're all guilty because of Adam's sin. Is that what the scripture is saying? Gotcha. We're all knowledgeable of the sin because of Adam's trespass. Yeah, so we eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not the tree of evil. Right, so I'm not born a sinner because of Adam's sin. That's not what Romans 5 is saying, correct? That is not what Romans 5 is saying. We all agree with that? I would agree too. That is definitely not what Romans 5 is saying. But it is saying because Adam sinned and now sin has entered the world, this is very important. You've got to remember Romans 3.23 and you've got to remember Romans 6.23. Remember, they're on both sides of this equation. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the Everyone. Not, I lived a perfect life, but Adam sinned before me, so therefore I'm sinful. Everyone, on their own accord, based on their own choices, their own decisions, has sinned before God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, on the other side of this, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is... So you see that sin is connected to death. That's exactly what Romans 5 is saying. That this sin that was brought into the world through the temptation that was succumbed to by Adam and Eve has now led us all on a path where we have these choices, where we, as Chuck said, have this knowledge of good and evil. And unfortunately for all of us, we all make a choice every now and then that's not of good, that is not of righteousness, that is of evil and sin. And because of that, we all face death. Right? Anybody want to add to that real quick? Nailed that one? Okay. What about the gift of God? It is Jesus, but what, it, what about it? How is it similar yet different? 
See, he's shown you similarities in the way he writes it, but he's also telling you at the same time, it's not the same. Look how it starts. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So how's it different? Sounds to me like when I read it, right, it sounds to me like, well, you've got this man and sin has entered the world through man, and then you have Jesus who comes in and he wipes sin off the face of the planet, if you will. How's it different, though? Chuck? I wonder, is, is the key to it through one man, the knowledge of sin entered the world? Through one man, the washing away of that sin was brought into the world. Well, I think, yes. Paul, you were going to say something? Yeah, there's a reason that it says the wages of sin. Yeah. Because wages are earned. That's right. Sin is earned. That's right. Okay. Heaven is a free gift. It's not earned. You can't earn. So sin, the way it's similar is you have one man that started the problem. You had one man that solved the problem. The way it's different is you have every person on their own consequences, on their own back, on their own choices has sinned. But every person has been made righteous through the righteousness of one man. Your righteousness is not on you. Super, super important. That doesn't mean that God is not calling us to good works. That doesn't mean that um, our life should look like Christ. We're going to go through all these scriptures too when we get to Jesus being our Lord. But my righteousness is on the back of Christ. Why is, why is it that way? So no man can boast. Very good, Dad. Why else? What is the standard of God? Perfection. So how can you be perfect the second you're not? You can't. So if my righteousness depends on my standard of perfection, then I cannot be righteous because I've never been righteous. Because since I was young, I started to sin. Even before... This is important too. Even before I knew what sin fully was, even before I knew the law, I started to sin. I also want to point out, and this is a great scripture just for anybody who's wondering, if you've ever lost someone young and, and you've struggled with that um, concept, and many churches to this day still struggle with that concept, if I'm being honest. He also says, yet... He says, but sin is not counted where there is no law. If I don't understand the law, if I'm not at the age where I really understand what I'm doing against God, I think that scripture is pretty clear that it's not, it's not going to be held to me at the same standard. Let's just say it that way. God works in mysterious ways. I'm not going to say I know everything that happens in that moment, but I think that's in there. So I just want to add that, not to get us too far off track. So, 
I wanted to take this really slow, make sure we've covered everything on this because everything we're about to go through is really already been said in this scripture. We're just going to go a little deeper. And, th- and this is where I want to point out in verse 19, halfway through that verse right there at that comma, it says, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's not by all of our obedience. It's by one man's obedience that many will be made righteous. All right. First Peter. Every time I feel like I'm making a connection, I got to turn around and read a scripture. Yeah, I know. Soon enough, right? First Peter chapter 1. This is the beginning of understanding why and how Jesus defeats sin and death. And it's, we can see in verse 19 where I highlighted in red, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world. We've covered that um, pretty lengthily in the last few weeks as well. But was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Why is it important and what symbol, sim, symbolism do you see in this scripture when we're thinking about the Old Testament? Now that's an easy question. What do you see in the red letters up there? Those aren't Jesus' words. I just put them in red. You have a perfect lamb and had no blemish or spot. Yeah, there was no blemish. It was perfect. What, where does that come from? Yeah, started in the Passover. So this is the comparison that the Israelites would have would have done from a very young age, really before they established themselves on a world map as a nation. This is what they would do, and they saw this playing out over and over and over again. You couldn't just pick any. It had to be a perfect one. It had to be one without blemish. Um, He follows this up by saying in chapter 2, he committed no sin, talking about Jesus. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but when you now return to the shepherd and overseer, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He was perfect. Why is that important? Why did Jesus have to be perfect? Because of the Passover? Why do you have to be perfect? Chuck? To defeat Satan. To defeat Satan? Why specifically? He went after dying couldn't be held. That's when he conquered sin, because he conquered death. That's right. And because he couldn't be held, the Holy Spirit raised him up. That's right. So he has to have no sin, because sin is associated with death. He wouldn't be any different than any of us. If he had one sin in his life, if he was guilty of a little piece of the law, he was guilty of the whole law. If he had one sin in his life, he would be in the same situation as us. 
There's another part too. Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. We were discussing, um, I believe it was Sunday morning, I can't remember if it was Sunday morning or Sunday night. What else is the devil? He's a liar. It starts with an A. Yeah, he's the accuser. Okay? I want you to remember that as we're looking at this scripture, because we're going to get down to that other foreign word that most people don't use anymore. You've got to like read a Charles Dickens book or something to find that word and in, in, in use. <laughs> but um, we're going to discuss that a little bit deeper. So it says, don't miss this part. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he had to become flesh and blood. He had to become flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He has to take the power of death away from the devil. And the only way he can do that, because we are flesh and blood, is to become flesh and blood himself. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Who were they enslaved by? Themselves, I heard. That's true. Who else? Satan? They are enslaved by their fear of death. They are definitely enslaved by their fear of death. What about the law? What about the law? If the law demands that you walk in it perfectly or you're guilty of it, and we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, aren't we stuck in a trap? Aren't you stuck in a game you can't win? Aren't you enslaved in something that you cannot overcome, defeat, save yourself from? Go ahead, Chad. It's called free will. Free will. Yes. That's right. It's free will. And God didn't give the laws to enslave us. That was not his purpose in giving the law. <clears throat> Okay, that's not what I just said. Well, I, 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 I'm just saying it, it wasn't the law that, that causes us to be enslaved. But we were held down by the law. Okay, I'm definitely not saying that you didn't have a choice or we'd be going back to that Adam argument at the beginning, right? right. I, I just want, don't want anyone to feel like that God set up a trap. No, there's no, there's no he trap. Knew, he, he, you know, to say he knew we couldn't keep it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's. Good for us. These would help us if we would evade them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. God's law is great. The problem with the law is we could not keep it. That is the ultimate problem with the law. Even when, like I said before, when we have one rule, we couldn't keep it. Go ahead, Chad have this discussion of any of this if we would never been handed over free will because we would have never known good known bad been able to do either one have a choice mm -hmm. we'd only have known good that's true. once god gave us the free will he already knew what was going to happen that's why he laid down the plan to save us at the end because he knew once we got free will which is the most powerful thing god's ever given us besides a son um that, that determines 
your life. Yeah. You're right. And, and, and let's not also forget that there's another character in that first part of the story of mankind. And he's sinister. And he's come to kill and destroy and devour. And he's what leads everybody astray. He's also the same one that accuses you, which I want to get down to real quick. Because nobody's saying, first of all, let me, let me, let me clear that up. Nobody is saying that God trapped us in a place where we couldn't do anything but need him. The reality is since the second he made us, all we, we needed him. Everything in life needs God. He doesn't have to set you up in a system where you need him. You need him. Who gave you life? God. You need him. All right? But there's also this other part of life, this other part of reality that we're all dealing with, which is Satan, temptation, sin, struggle. And at the end of the day, the law is revealing to you God. It's his standards. It's his character. It's his righteousness. It's what is required even to remove sin and, and struggle, right? So let's get to verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Had to be made like his brothers. He's, these are, oh, let me go back because I got, I got sidetracked. Verse 16. For surely it is not the angels that he helps. So he's not coming to save the angels, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's all of us being mankind. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So we know this as that one of those scriptures that talks about how God knows us. He's experienced life the way we have because he became man. It also shows that we are brothers and, and sisters in Christ and he is our brother as well. Um, and that's why he took on flesh and blood because we, those who are of flesh and blood, were under the trap, not set by God, the trap that was set by Satan. Satan comes into the perfect world, messes it all up. Satan leads everybody astray by twisting God's word. So, what's propitiation? Say it again. I'm sorry. A gift. Peace. A peace. A peace. A peace. A peace. Pay the price. Pay the price. <clears throat> Atonement. Sacrifice. When a baby cries, what do you do? Pick it up. <laughs> That's all you do? What do you do? You pick it up, you love on it. Big time. <laughs> Shad, what do you do? Pick it up and tell it I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Everybody's dad said that to him at least once. Everybody's dad. Everybody's. What do you do? What do you do? It, well, it depends on what the baby's crying about, right? I mean, you don't just, if the baby's got a dirty diaper and all you do is pick it up and try to make it happy, it's not going to be happy for long, even if you can calm it down. Yeah, you comfort it. You figure out what it is that's causing the problem and you satisfy that need and then the cries go away. 
That's propitiation. There are cries. In fact, Genesis 4, there's a sin that happens, a murder. And Cain thinks he's going to hide it from God. And God says to him, the blood of your brother is crying to me. You want to say something? They didn't have the law yet. But Cain knew he had sinned or he yeah. would not have tried to hide it from God. Yeah. That's usually in the beginning before the law. That's usually the dead giveaway in those original stories. In that, in that original, I hate saying story. In that original history. Um, they, they try to hide it. Go ahead, Susan. The law was given to set a people apart yeah. in the grace of God. The new law, Christianity, sets us apart from the world. The purpose was the same. That's the same God. Yeah. You know, like you say, it's not entrapment, but Lord, you know, he gave them two laws for the same purpose. Yeah. Absolutely, but that, that second purpose and the whole reason Jesus comes is because we couldn't fulfill the first law on our own. We were, we were helpless. As in the law of salvation. If yeah, absolutely. If we follow salvation, we don't call it a law, but it's still something that has to be accomplished before if we're not baptized. Yeah. There, you, know, you can call a law a rule, a system, but basically God was just, it's just setting us apart. It was for a good reason. Yeah. The Jews had the harsh law to bring them closer to God because Jesus had to come through them. Yeah. I don't. Even when I studied the old law in depth, it was it was very concise. Um, I don't I don't know if I would call it harsh. But the reality was, because it was the standard of perfection, we're not perfect. That's just the reality. Um, but yeah, they were, both to, they were both to call out the same point. And, and going with this idea of propitiation for the sins of the people, Hebrews 12, the Hebrew writer, brings this moment with Cain and Abel front and center. Verse 23, it says, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who's that? Who, who's the assembly of the firstborn that is enrolled in the book of life in heaven? That's us. That's us. That's us. That's right. It's the church. It's, it's every, it's all of God's people. That's who that is. It says, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, there is a, there is, there's two things going on here. There's the blood of your sin, if you will, when, when you look at the Passover, when you look at the lamb, the, the sacrificial lamb, all through the old covenant, what do you see? It takes blood. Does it wash away sin? Not in the old covenant, but what does it do? It pushed that sin forward. Where did it push that sin forward to? Yeah, to this blood. 
And this blood speaks a better word. A better word than the blood of your sin. It is the propitiation. It silences the cries. We were talking about Satan being the accuser. Do you think every time he accuses you in front of God, he doesn't have a reason to? Chad? And you know the word of God. Aren't you, aren't you your own judger, judgment? You know, you, don't you judge yourself? Do you, you Paul know, says, I don't even judge myself. But you, you know the law, so you, you know you've done wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll let you wrestle with that a little more. You know that, but now he's telling you, so you're not good enough to go to heaven. Yeah. That's, that's where Satan enters, not that you don't know you've done wrong. Sure. He's going to say, well, see, see, God, see, he's just, just not good enough. And if he can, and people lose their way. I, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, I, I think that Satan doesn't always accuse us before the Lord and just makes stuff up. Go ahead. And I, I know y'all were saying that. I'll say something to get in trouble. Okay. okay. <laughs> I like these. I like these moments. Jesus did something we didn't, not something we couldn't. Okay. Because First Corinthians ten thirteen says clearly that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond that which we're able to bear, but with the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape so that we can endure it. Sure. Okay, so any one of us could have done what Jesus did, but we didn't. Sure. So he did not what we couldn't, but what we didn't. Okay, that's fair. I don't, I don't think you're getting in trouble for that one. I think, I, was, I think it was well said. Which goes back again to, it's not like he was setting a trap. So we would be dependent. And it also goes back to this free will. And through our free will, we have stuff that cries against us. See, I don't believe Satan stands in front of God Almighty to accuse us and thinks he's going to trick God and fool God into thinking that we've done stuff we haven't done. All right? Read it. Then he showed... Meet Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Yeah. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. And this is not, is this not a man burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy dress, clothes, and stood before the angel. And the angel said to those standing before him, Take those filthy clothes off. So then he said to Joshua, see, we have taken away your sin and put fine garments on you, and it goes from there. Yeah. So that's talking about Satan standing before God, ready to accuse any one of us. Yeah. Okay? And the angel said, no, you're not going to get away with that. Because yeah. we've got something coming that's going to take care of it. Yeah, but... And, and then there's the symbology as well. well it's in here at the end of that, if you read the rest of it, it talks about the branch coming to take care of that. So yeah. Anyway. Right. And taking us from the dirty clothes to the clean clothes. Yeah. So there has to be a propitiation. There has to be an appeasement. 
Which leads to the second part. He's the mediator. He's the only thing that can appease the situation. He's the only thing that could bring peace to the situation. All words we, we, we have already used. But he becomes the mediator between God and men. The man, the flesh and blood um, that died on the cross, but that was also God. Now add to that this scripture. Because you've got this appeasement that needs to be done because your sin is crying out. The accuser actually has ammo. That's what I want you to see. The accuser actually has ammo. It's, it's, it just doesn't matter. Go ahead, Chuck. Your question. You don't have to make anything up. He's got plenty of stuff we've done. Yeah. And we keep doing and everything like that. He says, why do I have to make something up? I got a whole list of things you did. Yeah. I think, again, I think that's the symbology of the dirty clothes. He's about to call him out for what he's wearing. And I, I like that um, scripture that you just shared, Paul, because we've also been talking about um, in our study in 1 Corinthians, we were talking about how we were going to be um, saved as if people that were snatched from the fire. And that's exactly what it's describing right there in Zechariah. And that, that's just the reality that we're in. If, you, if we can't accept the fact that we're never going to live up to the expectation, which is exactly why Jesus died, not because we, it's impossible, but because we didn't, that, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. None of us in here were ever capable of being that unblemished lamb. And in fact, when you get into Revelation, you find out nothing in heaven at all, except for the lamb being Jesus Christ in Revelation, is the only one that actually can do it. He's the only one. So, let's add, this, let's add this wrench into it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh. Again, I'm going to keep echoing that thought because I thought it was really good, Paul. Not that we couldn't, but we didn't. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh. So because of the law and its perfection in the flesh and our weakness, we're in a conundrum. Could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The, the spirit. The spearment. The, <laughs> the spirit. What's the righteous requirement of the law? Fulfillment. Of what? Of the law. How much of it? All of it. When Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. It had to be in all perfection and all righteousness. It had to be, if you will, done by the letter of the law. Somebody that was man, flesh and blood, had to perfectly fulfill the law so that all of us who are transgressors, who are trespassers, who are law breakers, could be saved by that righteous requirement. Go ahead, Paul. The important aspect of that is Jesus could have sinned. Yeah. He did it. He did it. And we have to remember that he could have. 
That's very important. Yeah, when I was, now I'm going to say something that might get me in trouble. When I was um, going through this, I actually looked at um, where Jesus is in the garden right before he gets betrayed. And he's really wrestling with that idea. You know, that, that probably was his greatest moment of temptation. Not even, not even when Satan came to him face to face in the desert. This was that moment. He knew what was coming and he did not want to, literally what he was created for. Is there any other way? Now that, he does it, but you see a real moment with God who was man wrestling with the will of God. Not saying I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it, but if there is any other way. So there is, this is why when he says, I've experienced you on every level, we, there's no way we could break it down because not everything he experienced was even written down. We didn't, we didn't get the full, um, every single minute play-by-play play of Jesus' life. John tells us that. But there's a righteous requirement of the law that has to be fulfilled. See, well, let me go to the next scripture, actually, because I think it says it. This is the one I left out, Doug, by the way, which is why you got two emails today. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, going back to where we started, where does our righteousness come from? Yeah. Whose back does the righteousness lie on? Jesus. Yeah. Yes. This is grace. This is the most important aspect of grace. Grace is given to somebody who doesn't deserve it, who didn't earn it. It's just given. And it's free. You did nothing 2,000 years ago to put Jesus on the cross. Actually, your sin today is what put Jesus on the cross. But you did nothing to earn it. It was given. You were never able to fulfill the righteousness of God. You never did fulfill the righteousness of God. We just didn't do it. So what I'm trying to say is Jesus put us on his back like a good captain of a team in a really tight game. He performed exactly how he was supposed to and he led us, he leads us to victory because of his will, because of his grace, because of his love. So, let's continue. Why was the law cursed to us? Yeah. Because we could never fulfill it. Yeah. We can't stain it. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah, we did. We didn't fulfill it. Yeah, we do need it. If you don't have the law, what do you not know? You don't know you don't know sin. You don't know you don't know nothing. I like that answer even better. You really don't. You don't you don't even know God. Oh yeah. 
You don't, you don't even know what's good. The standard of God is what's good. All good things come from God because God's standard is good. That's what it is. You, without the law, you can't know right from wrong. Without the law, you can't know what God looks like, his character. You cannot know the standard of God. But in revealing that, there was a curse. Because the more we knew about God's standard, the more we realized we didn't add up. I don't know how it couldn't be. I don't know how it couldn't be. So, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, I don't know how to read that any other way than that the law actually became a curse for us. I don't, I don't know how to read that any other way. We were trapped by our own choice, by our own omissions, by however you want to say that. But at, at some point in time, all of us, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, are now cursed by the law because none of us can live up to the perfection and standard of goodness that is in the law. So he takes a literal curse from the law. And it's exactly how he dies. He takes our curse by becoming the curse. He takes our curse by becoming the curse. And then it says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We're going to get to the spirit later because you receive the spirit later. You have to come to this knowledge first. You see, what I, what I really want to encourage everybody to do, and I've put a lot of time and um, study into this. I, what I really want to encourage you to do is go back, go over this on YouTube just write the scriptures down somewhere in your Bible, whatever you, whatever you use when, when it comes that time to share the gospel with somebody. It's nice to have these scriptures kind of in order. It really lays it out. It really shows you your necessity for God. Just based on everyday life, just based on our choices, just based on who we are. Here's the beauty of that gospel. We're all in the same boat. You're no better than I, I'm no better than you. For me to come to Christ, I had to realize the necessity of a Savior that had to save me from my sin. And everybody else who comes to Christ has to realize that too. You're not singling anybody out. You're not telling anybody they're too far gone. You're not telling anybody they got to get to a certain standard before they're actually entered into the name, into the book of life. Jesus writes it. The one who died for you, the one who shed his blood for you, he writes, he writes your name in the book of life. The one whose righteousness my righteousness is on his back. So, I really want to encourage you guys to, to remember these scriptures, to, to, to put them, we talk about context all the time. This is, this is the context of the gospel. This is one aspect of the context of the gospel. Of that it really does put that in the context you're talking about. Yeah, you want to read that for me because I don't have it on the slide. 
anyone who tries to please God by obeying the law is under a curse. The scriptures say everyone who doesn't obey everything in the law is under a curse. Yeah. No one can please God by obeying the law. The scriptures also say the people God accepts because of their faith will live. That's right. The law isn't based on faith. It promises life only to people who obey its commands. That's right. And then it picks up with verse That's right. Sad. It would only be a curse if you didn't make it to heaven, right? It's, it's, the curse has been lifted by Jesus. Right. We're not under that curse anymore. Right. If you don't make it to heaven, it's kind of still a curse, though. <laughs> <laughs> well... To an extent, those who don't believe are not going to be saved from this, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's going to come in the Lord. But, yeah, that's exactly what it's talking about. All right, we're almost done. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. This is John, uh, John in Revelation. <coughs> Excuse me. It's talking about Jesus. And says, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's what he's saying. This is what his death did. This is what his sacrifice did. Now, we're going to get to the life because I will, I will say this. If Jesus doesn't resurrect... There's still no gospel. If he doesn't resurrect, he doesn't defeat death. He dies like everybody else. Paul, Paul says that expressly. First Corinthians, we went over that. We're going to go over it again anyway, though. So I want to end with this, because this is the simple gospel. This is the simple gospel, but I want you to understand, the gospel is much deeper than this. But this is the simple gospel. This is the basic gospel. This is... Every aspect of what we believe Jesus had to do and what Acts chapter 2 says Jesus had to do to be the Messiah, the Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. See, we, we already discussed that. Acts chapter 2, Peter points that part out too. He was, his body never, never saw corruption. He had to be raised on the third day. And then not only that, but it says, then he started to appear to all of us. He appeared to all the apostles. He appeared to 500 brothers at the same time. People saw him. We are eyewitnesses to this resurrection. And then Paul says, and last, of not, last but not least, or maybe last and least, is probably how Paul would have viewed himself as the chief of all sinners. He says, he appeared to me. We know, he we know he rose from the dead. He had to come. He had to die. He had to live the perfect life to appease the wrath of your sin and to make peace with God. Next week, we'll talk about why he had to come and resurrect to defeat death. Anybody got anything else they want to say really quickly? No? Okay. Thanks for coming. See you next week.
This was good. This is a good class. You can smile. It's about being saved. Go ahead, Chad. Are we offline? <laughs> what is the death clock? Anybody know what that is? Somebody said that they death came clock? out yeah, and said that we were 20 minutes closer to midnight. Oh, uh, that's... What is that? I'm not getting into that right now. Turn my mic off. It's about climate change. <laughs> 